today on the QL Podcast. Will the NHL return soon? Well, the return to play committee sure is pushing for it. The Toronto National Women's Hockey League team finally gets its name. Ken Weeb from the Athletic Winnipeg comes on to talk about the Jets. Joe Messina comes on to talk about Bandits, Goaltending, Piranha Peg, Edge Protect, Mass Marvel, and Second String Leather. Welcome, everyone, to the Peel Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Kewl Podcast. I am your host today, the insider to the insiders, Tyler Kewl. And this has been a very intriguing last few days here for us here at TKP, not just because of the guests we have on the show, but because of some of the news we have here this week. Makes it a little interesting, gives us a little bit something to look forward to here this week. On this week's show, have a couple pre-recorded interviews we'll put on as we have, like we said off the top, Ken Weeb from the Athletic Winnipeg was kind enough to call in and talk some Jets with me last Friday, I believe we talked about it. And of course, Joe Messina, we talked yesterday with him. We'll put both those later on in today's episode. We'll get to some news here in just a moment, but make sure you get involved with today's episode Using the hashtag TKP, hashtag the QL Podcast. Tweet us at the QL Podcast. Tell us how you are all doing today. I, I'm doing pretty well. I mean, it's it's another work day, but hey, you know what? This Tuesday, May the 19th, and it definitely has some reason to get excited. Why? Because possibly the NHL may come back. And the NWHL team in Toronto finally gets its name. The name of the NWHL team is called the Toronto Six. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, there is a team that is named the Six. And, you know, at first, the first time you hear it, you're like, really? The si-? But then you, if you think about it, think of it this way, folks. The Six has become the identity of the GTA, the Greater Toronto Area. So, and with, yes, that kind of does come from the influence of Drake and how he influences the Raptors and so on and so forth. But it's, it's a really cool deal just on the fact that this is now the team name and and it works out because obviously there's six players on the ice. So it'd be, you know, the Mudville nine, if you will, from Casey at the bat, you know, it's kind of like that scenario, except now this team is called the Toronto six and I'm excited for how good it could be. Hello. Okay. There we go. I had to fix that. But I'm intrigued to see what's going to happen. They do have a lot of signees already. I suggest all of you give them a follow on their social media platforms. We here at the Keel Podcast follow them on Twitter at the Toronto Six. Yes, they are at the Toronto Six. They are not the Ohio State. They are just the Toronto Six. Even though I do despise the using of the before a team name we will give them that just because it's it's unique it's interesting it's kind of cool so for for their sake we'll allow it that said i'm interested to see what happens you know i know we've we've really harped on the nwhl on this program before and for different reasons not because of the fact that there's a semi-professional women's hockey league We've harped on them because there was a possibility 
of a fully-fledged, fully-operational pro women's league where with full compensation to the athletes. Now that's less likely to happen because the idea was that the NHL would help out, and obviously the NHL is already going to be losing money through this pandemic. So unfortunately, the the proposed Women's National Hockey League, if you will, if that were the name, may not be coming to fruition anytime soon. So with that, we're going to just, I mean, we're going to have to watch NWHL action, which is, I mean, it's great hockey. I'm not going to deny that. I'm not going to say it's bad hockey. That's the thing is it's still good hockey. It's still competitive. And I think realistically, it can still work out for not just the players, but you know, the eventual, the growth of the game, the continuing growth. And I do know that the professional women's hockey association has started to schedule games in certain regions across North America, which will give more people the ability to see women's hockey, pro women's hockey, or at least the PWHPA. And which is great because that'll give more players the opportunity because not everyone's going to be able to travel because it's, going to be a different season next year not just for the major leagues but you know you trickle down all the way you know down to your simple high school level or junior levels you know so it'll be interesting in the Toronto six you know what best of luck to them and I do love how how exciting the coverage is for NWHL it's just I'm still hoping for a fully operational women's hot professional hockey league that can fully pay their players, can fully take care of themselves, fully operational, if you will. That is that is my hope. So now with that said, it may not happen anytime soon now. I think it's getting put on the back burner given everything that's gone on. So we'll still have NWHL action, fingers crossed. Hopefully we still have some NHL action here soon, which sounds like it may be coming sooner rather than later. As of this past weekend, there were some certain headway made with the ready-to-play committee and the Board of Governors in the NHL this past weekend. A lot of talk about the possibilities of having a 24-team format. And I know that was something at first. It was like, oh, man, you're not you, it's going to be different. It's going to be weird. Well, guess what? It's weird. It's different now. Everything's different. So I think we're just going to have to adapt to what has happened. We're going to have to play the, the NHL's going to have to play the cards that's been given to them. And you, you wonder exactly how they're going to do it. I'm sure they're trying to find a way to at least have some normality or some, I don't say even playing field, but have everyone get to the right amount of games in order to have a good, a, a, an accurate field set for the playoffs. I believe that's what the idea is with this 2014 playoff. I'm like, you could probably take everyone right now by point percentages, and that's great and all, but then you're kind of like, well, what if this team had won two more games? Where would they be at? If this game team had one more game to play and they had lost that game, would they be in this certain playoff spot? And I and I understand, don't forget, there is going to be really no home ice advantage in all this. We'll get to the the venues here in a second, but it's interesting to think of what is going to happen when this starts up and right now there's really there's only talk about that they're getting close to of finalizing a format they're not saying how obviously there's no details of how it's going to happen where it's going to happen and whatnot but the idea is that they're finalizing them not the motive but finalizing the 
the idea of a 24-team playoff format to actually be able to move forward and begin playing again. Now, with with Ontario opening up a lot of their a lot of their public areas and some athletes being able to train again, that allows an opportunity for Canada to host some games. And this kind of as we carry way our way into the the hubs, if you will, for the return of the NHL. There's a lot of talk that Canada may be a good bet just because it will be cheaper to host the game, given that the Canadian dollar, sorry, friends of ours north of the border, is not the best compared to the American dollar. So therefore, it'd be cheaper. And that's why it's it's the best idea that you would see a GTA possibly host some games or Edmonton host some games just because of the fact that there is, they're A, allowing it, B, it's cheaper, and C, you know, obviously you're going to have people there that kind of, I, I don't know if it's like know what to do in certain situations like this because I don't think anyone does, but the idea that they have, you know, a good base in terms of media because obviously, you know, they know how to put on a hockey game and you could really do it, obviously, inside Scotiabank. You could do it up in Canada if you wanted to at the Canadian Tire Center. You could even do it just up the road up in Brampton. There's rinks up there. You could have these teams play in separate rinks. Now, granted, yes, they wouldn't do that because you want to have everyone inside one building. So pretty much you're quarantining, quarantining these teams, these players, to one hotel, one rink. So, yes, you may see five. I think they would say they would have six teams because the idea is that they would have four hubs, four hubs, if you will. So you have six teams in this 2014 playoff format, and you would have all of them in one hotel, one rink. So you'd see six teams at Rogers in Edmonton, Rogers Arena, Rogers Center, that is, Rogers Place, Rogers Place, gosh almighty. The too many Rogers, I swear. Yes, I know Rogers owns half the country, yada, yada, yada. But then you have six teams possibly at Scotiabank, six teams in Columbus, I guess, is the place they're talking about, six teams in Vegas, which is a possibility. And, I mean, I don't know where else you really want to have it in Canada. I know Quebec is still a pretty big hotbed for the COVID. Then again, the entire world is still. I know it's. they say it's kind of going down at some point in some places, but this is going to be something we're going to have to deal with for years. It's just going to be how are we going to adapt to it will be the question. But in terms of right now, in terms of getting back on the ice, you're going to want to find a certain metropolitan area, despite how bad that sounds, that you can control and you can keep the players within reach of the rink. Toronto works because you go downtown, there's hotels, there's everything right around the area. And you can easily shuttle players to and from without or with minimal contact to, I don't want to say the outside world to make it sound like it's some gloomy thriller sci-fi movie, but it's the best way to think about it. Edmonton's kind of the same way. Vegas is perfect given that scenario. The city itself is part near shut down. There's a lot of hotel or a lot of hotels, a lot of resorts that are connected to the rink or to M- to T-Mobile Arena. There at least that's close enough that you can get players to and from without any issues. Columbus, yes, it's a college town, but that said, there's a lot of dorms there. There's a lot of hotels there. There's a possibility for 
putting players there. You can find areas and you can find ways to connect them and cut them off from the outside world. And I know the players still have issues with quarantining themselves or quarantining and being away from their families because that would be the case. They wouldn't have families around them. It would just be the players, coaches, and staff. Minimal staff at that. So it's going to be an interesting way of how they're going to bring back this 2019-2020 season of how they want to finish it. It'll be the most unique scenario I think we'll ever see. I mean, heck, you look at NASCAR this past weekend, they were at Darlington on Sunday. Pretty good race for the most part. I mean, a typical Darlington finish, Kevin Harvick wins by like two or three seconds. But you could see what they were doing. They Everyone had masks under in the interview. You know, they had Reagan Smith, who was doing the interviews in the pits, or David Reagan, excuse me, doing the interviews in the pits, and he was six feet away, and they literally had what looked like, I mean, it was pretty much a Fox Sports microphone attached to a, you know, one of the poles that you'd see a boom mic on. That's kind of how they did their media and interviews and such, even in Victory Lane. And, you know, I think some, I think a lot of sports, especially when we're watching the UFC this past week, people have looked at that and said, all right, well, here's what they're doing, and it works. You know, other sports around the world are going to have to adapt. Heck, NASCAR, I think, is going to have a race tomorrow night at Darlington. Then they are back at Charlotte on Sunday. They're racing four, I think, four or five times in a three-week span. Sounds like a good old Friday, Saturday night dust-up over at Berlin Raceway over here. Yes, that, that's something for you folks at home. I, I don't know why that came out of me, but then again, sometimes just you start talking to people, and then your voice just starts to start to get along with them and you end up turning it and next thing you know you realize man I have a different accent now I can get into stories about that because I when I played with a couple of uh, French Canadian players at Davenport Cody Matthew and Tommy Barabe I talked to them and next thing you know I would start I'm not going to do it because I I do a horrible fake French Canadian accent or French accent but when I would talk to them next thing you know I'd realize I would start sane and slight dialect like them. I couldn't speak French for crap, but I could, I could get, I could like hear their, their accent and just pick it up and then use it back to them. And I don't think I was ever called out on it, but I just remember one time just stopping them saying like, Oh my gosh, I'm trying, I'm sounding like I'm them. And it, it's humorous because they would speak French to each other all the time on the ice, which which was horrible for me as a goaltender because I couldn't communicate with them because they're both defensemen and they would, you know, whenever you call for a reverse or a breakout a certain way, they'd say it out in French. So the other team wouldn't know. But then problem is as a goaltender, I wouldn't know. So it really didn't help at all, but I digress. How did I get to that point? All right. Languages, accents. Oh yeah. Southern with NASCAR and stuff. Good golly. I need like a map of when I start talking in tangents or else we're not going to be able to get back to where we were. So going back to the NHL and the 2014 playoff format and all these hubs, I know there's about eight or nine that the, that the league is looking at. At least that was the report from this past weekend. And I, I'm interested to see where else they could be. I don't know if Los Angeles is a hub. It seems like Los Angeles is starting to get itself cut off from the world just because they sound like they, they're not going to open anything up until this thing is cured. At least that's what I've been told through the grapevine. I don't watch that kind of political news and whatnot. That's just what I've been told. If you think I'm wrong, please tweet me at the Kiel Podcast. Tweet me at TJKU29. Tell me I'm wrong because it, it'll just be it'll it'll be good for everybody to know that I was wrong. 
I'm sure some people are out there right now saying, yeah, he's wrong. He's wrong all the time. That I'm sure my wife in the other room probably heard that, and she's probably nodding her head, let's be honest. But I'm, I'm interested to see where else they could go. I don't know if you would want to go to not a junior town, but you know, maybe a place like, excuse me, maybe like a Windsor or you know, someplace that's kind of like a metropolitan area that has the anemones. I mean, you know, you or amenities, you want to have as much of a, mo- just a regular feel as possible, like a normal feeling. That's why the NHL rinks was so important to the board of governors and even the ready to play committee, just because of all of the resources they have there and they have access to, because, you know, I remember the, when we talked about it last month about North Dakota, yes, you can isolate a team in Grand Forks. Here's the problem. Grand Forks, is not, albeit it is one of the bigger cities in North Dakota, it is not comparable to a Chicago or even, you know, a Twin Cities or, heck, even Tampa, you know? And Tampa, I don't want to say is one of the smallest cities in the league, but it's not Chicago. It's not, you know, New York, you know, on the Manhattan side. But it's interesting to see what venues they're going to look at. I would be interested to see if they would try Minnesota. I'd be curious to see if they would look at a place, you know, like like Dallas, because American Airlines Center is not. I don't know how. I don't know exactly how far it is from downtown. If it's right there or whatnot, but it's. I mean, I I could say where I'd like to see it played. I mean, I think Toronto would be a great opportunity a great spot for the players and, you know, the league itself. Edmonton's a great spot. It's a little bit, a little bit smaller than Calgary. Vancouver, I know is another possibility. Keep people keep saying it, but it's because that rink is like Toronto right downtown. And I know it's still quiet there, but I, I don't know. I, I just get an uneasy feeling thinking about Vancouver being involved in it. And yes, people from Vancouver saying, well, you say Toronto's fine. What's wrong with Vancouver? I get that. But just that's me personally. That is my opinion. My opinion doesn't matter. I know. But then again, folks, you are all tuning into the show. So you like to hear my opinion. So yeah, there's that to go off of. But down in the States, I like, you know, maybe Minnesota wouldn't be an awful idea. Dallas, like I said, just because it is a humongous state. And and I know how baseball is looking at Arizona. You know, you have the rink where the Coyotes play is in Glendale, which is outside of downtown Phoenix. You could really look at that as a possibility just because that is a lot of open land out there. You know, I mean, I don't know what you, like I said, California is out of the equation, but, you know, Nashville is a possibility that, you know, you could probably stick them somewhere around there, maybe Miami. I know people are saying Miami, but Tampa may not be an awful idea. It's really just kind of wait and tell and see where they actually decide to go. And this is obviously they have to get connection with the rinks, with the local authorities to make sure that they can arrange, you know, you're having what? Think of it as 30 people per staff, 180 times, or that's about 180 people. You know, you're looking at close to, I mean, and having media as well, selective media, of course, but you're looking at possibly 200 people coming into your town that you have to isolate and make sure they have proper, you know, proper food, proper amenities for them, for the players, for the staff to make sure, you know, they're fed, 
they're taken care of, they're being, you know, I, I don't say being clean, but making sure they have, you know, a clean area for them and pretty much shut it down from the outside world. It's something that the NHL and the Ready to Play Committee is really working towards and can't wait to see what is next. And with that, curious to see what is next as well. Let's go up. Well, I mean, we're still here in the office, but let's take this conversation to one of the cities that hosts an NHL team in Canada, particularly in the province of Manitoba, the Winnipeg Jets. How's our season gone? Not too bad, but not too great either. We talked about it with Ken Weeb late last week. Let's go to that interview now here on the Kiel Podcast. Now joining us on the Kiel Podcast from Winnipeg, Manitoba, or as the Jets fans call it, the True North. He is the beat writer for the Winnipeg Jets at The Athletic. It is Ken Weeb. Ken, how are you doing today, sir? Very well, Tyler. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? Oh, we're we're hanging in there inside, and well, it's rainy down here. How's the, how's the weather down up there in Winnipeg? Yeah, last two days we've had rain, but uh, it should be a rise in temperature by the weekend. So certainly, uh, certainly encouraging at these times. We'll yeah. take anything we can get. And I, well, I heard at least in Ontario they're open up the golf courses. I know down here they are they're open because I went yesterday. But how how is the province of Manitoba handling all this? Because I know it's kind of different as you go across the country. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that uh, Manitoba has done a very good job of uh, practicing social distancing and. Since the pandemic hit, and we've been fortunate enough to keep the, the COVID-19 numbers down uh, fairly well in these parts. But again, it's a, it's a long weekend coming up. They've had phase one of starting to reopen some businesses. The golf courses here are open as well. And uh, folks have been telling me that people have been paying attention to the rules, and that's, that's great to see. But it'll be the, the first big test will be coming this weekend with, uh, with some warmer temperatures. But uh, yeah, it's been pretty proud of the way people have handled it. And it is certainly a different life uh, we're living these days, but uh, I think in the grand scheme of things, as long as people are staying healthy and just trying to, everyone's trying to do the best they can to pull together and, and get through this together. Uh, something we've never seen before. That's for certain, for certain. No, uh, it's been, it's been about a century since we've had something like this. That's really affected across the world. And, you know, kind of looking at it from a hockey perspective, Gary Bettman has come out time and time again, saying he wants the season to kick back and I all of us hockey fans we really want to see the season come back on but kind of from where you're sitting and what you've read and what you've heard what do you think it what is your pulse or what is your finger on the pulse of what could happen for this league to start back up to hopefully crown a Stanley Cup champion here in 2020 yeah Tyler would say people are I think there is some encouragement to, to what's happening and we know the return to play committee has, has met a couple times this week uh according to my colleague Pierre Lebrun at The Athletic, uh, uh, having some positive talks. And I think in some ways they're starting to move from general concepts to starting to try to narrow the focus on how they'd like things to get done. I think there's still quite a bit of debate uh, happening between whether it's going to be a 20 or a 24 team tournament. I know there was, I don't think they've completely ruled out the finishing of the regular season, but I would say that that's a doubtful option for right now. But, uh, I do think it's, I mean, they're, they're going to do everything in their power to have a Stanley Cup champion crowned, provided it's safe to do so. I don't think they're going to put players' health at risk. I think that's uh, another big factor that's being discussed. And obviously the 
living in a pandemic bubble and, and what that may look like, a self-isolation bubble, what that may look like for, for players and potentially their families. Uh, I mean, I think those are some of the, some of the finer details that are getting ironed out, but I do expect that as long as things continue to trend in the right direction in terms of uh, keeping the virus under control, I do think that right now I would say there's still a possibility of getting that season done, but I think the timelines are starting to shift a little bit too, whereas before there was some talk about maybe June, I would say it's more likely to, to stretch into July and August uh, and maybe even beyond that now uh, if they're able to do so. And one of the biggest things, the reason why the NHL wants to come back is because of the playoff revenue, because it does bring a lot of money into the league, fans or not. But do you think, hypothetically, because say you know we do have a season, it goes into you know August, September, whatnot, and then you have a scheduled start that, like Pierre LeBron uh, wrote a couple of weeks ago, about a possible December start. Because then you're gonna prob- you're not gonna have an 82 game season realistically without absolutely wearing out the players. Would it be better if the league? I don't want to say canceled the season because Gary Bettman said it's too easy. But would it be better to really focus on a full 82 game schedule than it would be to have two partial seasons? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question, and I don't have the right answer on that. I think the, the biggest concern is a, a financial concern. I mean, obviously, uh, HR, the hockey-related revenue, is going to be greatly impacted no matter what happens with uh, the remainder of the season. I mean, there were some, some teams in the NHL had as many as eight home games remaining. I mean, that's a fifth of your schedule. I mean, it's tough to make up all of the revenue from that, whether it's ticket revenue, concessions, uh, all the other factors. So, I mean, there's going to be a financial hit regardless. Uh, I don't know the machinations of the accounting to be able to tell you that missing out on the playoff revenue could be offset by having an 82 game season. I just, I, I don't know that to be true. Uh, I know there's a, there's a significant amount of uh, money when it comes to the broadcast rights and their ability to have playoff content. So, uh, I would imagine there's some, I mean, some pressure on that front too. When it comes to, I mean, NBC won't have the Olympics to air. I think they would probably be uh, looking for some content on that front, on the sporting front too. As long as again, as long as it's safe to do so. But uh, I mean, we're looking at a market correction of some point. I, I don't know what that's going to look like, but there's certainly going to be a massive impact for uh, all hockey leagues, including the National National Hockey League and the American Hockey League too. I mean, that that even more of a gate-driven league uh, when it comes to revenues uh, as folks around uh, your city would know very well. Oh yeah, us in Grand Rapids, there's a, there's been a little bit of a backlash since the AHL announced it this past Monday that the season canceled. And of course, the Moose as well, they lost their season. I know they were but say, if I'm not mistaken, the Moose were kind of in the mix there in the playoff picture. I know they were up and down a little bit more this season, but let's get to the NHL club, the Winnipeg Jets. This is a different year compared to the last couple where the Winnipeg Jets were a team that was vying for a central division crown. Now this season kind of battling to get to simply clinch a playoff spot here. What has been the biggest difference, Ken, from this year's Jets team to the teams of the last couple of seasons? Yeah, no doubt. Uh, they went from, you know, bona fide Stanley Cup contender to a bubble team uh, in relatively short order. And I mean, it's fairly easy to retrace those steps. I mean, the back end was basically overhauled uh, during the off season uh, with, you know, Tyler Myers leaving in free agency, Jacob Trouba leaving uh, via trade for Neil Pionk, who ended up being a, a very good addition for the Jets. 
uh, Ben Sherratt leaving to the Montreal Canadiens, and even a guy like Joe Morrow, who was more of a depth guy, uh, he played in 41 games the year prior. So, I mean, they overhauled, you know, four out of their seven defensemen, and uh, then Dustin Bufflin deciding on the day before training camp that he wasn't ready to play and uh, I mean, ultimately not playing at all this season. I mean, those were huge factors for the Jets. Uh, I mean, their back end, I think, played hard and, you know, did the best they could in a lot of regards. But, uh, I mean, I think eight of the players who appeared in the Jets lineup were making a million dollars or or less. So, I mean, when you're going from perennial all-stars to... Uh, guys that are, are more used to playing on the third pairing, I mean, they're certainly going to be a drop-off. But uh, Connor Hellick was absolutely fantastic in, in keeping the Jets in the race. I think he was playing at a Vesna Trophy level. Uh, they still have a lot of high-end skilled forwards, including uh, Michigan product Kyle Connor, who had just a dynamite year, 38 goals and counting, tied to the scoring lead with Mark Shifley, leading the team in shots on goal and I uh, really took a big step, I felt, in his development, uh, taking on a bit more of a penalty-killing role. Uh, I mean, they still had a lot of uh, high-end core players, but uh, I think certainly the depth on the back end was tested this year, but uh, acquiring Dolan DeMello at the deadline certainly helped stabilize things uh, for them at that time, and they were playing some of their best hockey uh, going into the stretch run. Yeah, and they were looking good, too. You talk about Connor, you know, him and Shifley, the only two point-of-game players. And Connor, he's just slowly developed into, like you said, you know, a bona fide star on that Jets team. And, you know, you have the veteran leadership in Shifley and Wheeler. But one guy that I, I hate to say is, I don't, I hate to use the word tailed off, but I guess it's just with the expectations of being, I guess, a top-five pick. And Patrick Laine this year, he's he was on pace for over 30 goals, but with a player like Line and the the offensive mindset that he has, isn't that a guy that you'd want to see get closer to forty a season rather than just hovering around the thirty mark? Yeah, Tyler. I mean, Patrick Line actually, I would I would argue that he had a, a much better year than he he did last year. I think his all around game, the growth in terms of that, has has been exceptional. Uh, as the you know puck management and his physical engagement. Uh, he was able to avoid the lengthy dry spells that he had the year prior. I, I do see a lot of growth in his game, and I do think we're going to be becoming more accustomed to seeing him back in that 40 to 50 goal range uh, moving forward here. Uh, yes, I do. You know, I, I do see that 28 would have been his lowest output. I, I think he probably would have finished somewhere in that 30 to 35 range. But uh, the biggest thing for Lainey is that he was able to find more ways to score at even strength. I and mean, he had been so reliant on power play goals to pad those numbers in the past. And while it was an adjustment for the Jets power play, not having Bufflin or Truba on it, uh, he was not as big of a factor in terms of special teams points. But I think that the Jets will get that sorted out. I think that Neil Pionk and, and him will get that one-timer play moving a little bit more uh, in, in the second year together. Uh, and I still do see him as a prolific uh, goal scorer. And, and again, he did make a lot of strides in the other uh, parts of his game. Uh, spent a lot of time this year on the top line with Blake, Blake Wheeler moving to second line center for the for the majority of the year. Line A playing with Connor and Shifley. He really did a good job at earning those minutes. I think he was close to almost three more minutes a game in terms of average time on ice. So uh, I, I think the numbers are a bit deceiving when it comes to Line A's overall play and, and projection. 
And do you, and do you think he is ever going to develop into that more of a two way player, or do you think he is going to focus on? I don't want to say like an Ovechkin because Ovechkin does have that physical game to him, but that guy that really is out there to really put up the offensive numbers. Do you see him as a two way guy, or do you see him on? I don't want to say one hundred foot player, but his real contra- contra- eh, contribution to the team come from the offensive end. I mean, obviously, a guy with a shot and release like like Lani is going to be most dangerous as a, as a goal scorer. But he's he's always he's always he's always been a good passer. Just that that element of his game was a little bit more on display this year. Uh, I think the other thing that uh, is easy to overlook for for everyone is that both Kyle Connor and Patrick Lani missed all of training camp this year uh, with their contract stalemates until they were able to get their deals signed. So I do think there were it was a little bit slow to the gate for both players. Uh, in terms of goal scoring, even though obviously Kyle's numbers were incredibly high and, and Patrick still was trending for 30-plus, uh, those guys sort of were playing a little bit of catch-up, even though obviously they were working hard individually, but uh, it took them some time to get going. So I do see Patrick blossoming into more of a, a power-forward type of player. Uh, I don't think he's ever going to be a Selkie Trophy candidate, but I do think his overall game will allow him to continue to earn additional responsibility, be a 20-minute-a-night player, and uh, be a guy who can really be a dynamic uh, offensive player who can really score a lot of goals. And you did talk about the about some of the contract issues, and it seemed like last summer was the year of the RFA, and the Jets are going to kind of run into that a little bit this coming offseason. As of right now, I believe they have, what was it, 12 guys that are um, expected to be restricted or unrestricted free agents, and you know guys like Roslevic, you have Nick Shore, Appleton, Latestu, up front and on the back end, you got Kulikov's going to be UFA, Nathan Bulio, UFA, DeMello. I mean, even Lorraine Bassois, the backup goaltender, is an unrestricted free agent coming up this summer. So Kevin Chevel day off will not be able to take a day off, if you will. Yeah, no, I mean, he'll be busy, but I would say the Jets are in a much better both cap situation and uh, an overall situation than they were last summer, especially knowing that the RFA deals were probably going to take a a longer period of time getting to a long-term agreement with Kyle Connor uh, and Lani obviously betting on himself in that two-year bridge deal. But uh, there aren't really a lot of players in that RFA range uh, that will be looking at a significant raise. Yes, Jack Rosovic is having a career year. Uh, he'll get a slight bump, I would say, but none of those guys are going to be, I wouldn't put them in a difficult to sign category. I think the Jets with Bufflin moving on after the mutual contract termination, that frees up 7.6 million, 4.3 coming off the books for Dmitry Kulikov. So the Jets are in a better position to help solidify their back end. Uh, with a UFA, I, I think they would like to keep going to know on the fold, but I mean, they would have the, the ability to go out and sign somebody. But Having said that, the Jets aren't also going to put all their eggs into the UFA basket, and, and I don't see them in the high-rent bin for an Alex Petrangelo or a Tory Krug, but because at the end of next season, Andrew Kopp, Neil Pionk, and Patrick Leinen will all need new deals themselves once again. So there's a little bit of wiggle room now, and the Jets are a little bit better equipped to handle it because they have that, you know, they have that room, but a flat cap is definitely going to impact a team like the Jets as well. Uh, they thought the cap was probably going to be in that $84, $85 million range, and now it's probably going to be flat or even might have the potential of decreasing slightly. So uh, Kevin Chemeldayoff, uh, always busy. Uh, I see the Jets as being one of those teams that uh, could be very active and maybe trying to take on one of those larger contracts for one of those cap-strapped teams. Uh, I could see a lot of creativity. I could 
I would say this. I would say there, there, there's the potential for a reverse Steve Mason deal, whereas the Jets a couple of years ago moved Steve Mason in a contract uh, situation where they had to give up Joel Armia and draft pick just to clear space when they were trying to retain Paul Stastny. But I think the Jets could try to do something like that on a short-term deal. I don't think they'd be looking at a buyout like the Canadians did with Mason, but I think they're going to be very creative and explore and exhaust all options when it comes to uh, you know potentially filling their second-line center jo- job, and especially on the back end. Uh, I really think there'll be at least one top four defenseman signed, and I could see them getting more of an experienced guy uh, on a shorter-term deal, given that Billy Hanala and Dylan Sandberg are their top two prospects on the back end, and both would be probably pretty close to NHL action. Whether they're ready in the fall or not, that remains to be seen, but they're the best two prospects in the system right now. How do you think the addition of Cody Eakin has done with the Jets since he's come over? Is he the kind of guy now that that Kevin Shevoldayoff really has to consider re-signing come the summer? Yeah, you know, Cody did a, a very good job coming in. I mean, some people will say, obviously, where he slotted in, mostly playing as a second-line center, five points in eight games. Yes, you would expect someone playing with Ehlers and Line 8 to produce offensively. Uh, I think Cody Eakin is probably best suited in a more of a checking role or a checking plus role. I mean, he's a guy that has scored 20 goals before and frequently in double digits. But uh, I think he, he really added an, a level of competitiveness and uh, a little bit more physical nature. But he also has a good shot and can put the puck in the net. Uh, I, I do think he was he would be under consideration, but I also wouldn't say he's not necessarily... Um, and that I think his his game is more suited to being a checking plus player than to be a second line center. But um, I mean, he'd be under consideration. I, I don't know for sure if that's the way they're going to go. But I also would argue too that Andrew Kopp is a guy that has is continually pushed for more uh, responsibility, and, and he would be under consideration. And same with Jack Rossovic, who you mentioned earlier. Uh, they have some internal candidates as well, but. I mean, Cody's he's a hometown guy. He's an experienced guy. Would he want to play a year in his hometown? I think it would be a possibility. But, I mean, he would also fall into that category that it's hard to know what the salary cap squeeze is going to mean for experienced players. I mean, Cody had a down year compared to the year prior, but uh, he certainly his body of work would, would certainly lead many teams to be interested in his services. And you did, we did talk about Connor Hellebuck earlier, and we and how that he's had to have an exceptional year this year. And, you know, you look at his numbers from that year they made to the conference finals. He had a 2-3-6 goals against average, 9-2-4 during the regular season, save percentage. Numbers did take a little bit of a dip last year, releasing goals against average. But this year, you did talk about how he had a Vesna caliber season. And, you know, his numbers may not be, the, like, the number one of the best. However, his 9-2-2 is seventh best in the NHL among qualified goaltenders. With the, I don't want to say lack of, of of help in front of him by the defense. I mean, obviously a little bit weaker, like we said, compared to years past, but the way he's had to really lead this team. I mean, if Kalibuck doesn't play like the way he has been there, Ken, I don't think that the Jets right now are looking at a playoff spot right now. Yeah, no, he's, he's the clear-cut MVP of the team. And, I mean, if you dive deeper into the analytics and goal saved above average and five-on-five uh, five state percentage and those things, I mean, some folks are, are, are pounding on the table would like to have him a little bit higher up in the hard trophy discussion. I mean, uh, for me, I think he is a, a borderline candidate. I mean, I think he's a, he's a steady candidate. I just think that some of the uh, seasons produced offensively by some of the other stars around the league would, would lead them to be 
uh, worthy candidates. Uh, I think that Connor deserves to be in this, the discussion for sure. Uh, he has been exceptional, and the big thing for me is his ability to bounce back. I mean, two years ago, he played at a Vesna level, uh, beaten out by Pecorino, but when you can put together two Vesna-type seasons in a three-year span, uh, I think it really shows that how how driven he is to become a, an elite goaltender. Uh, he's spoken in the past about what, what the Vesna Trophy would mean to him, and his ultimate goal, obviously, is to win the Stanley Cup. But, uh, I think a a big thing for Connor goes back to that Western Conference final uh, when he went head to head with Mark Andre Fleury, who in that Hellebuck had a solid series, but a couple moments where Fleury was just a little bit better than him, and I think that really proved uh, gave him a lot of motivation. And I mean, it didn't necessarily translate into the numbers last year, but I think he's a really determined individual and. I don't think this is, I think this is the new normal for him. And I, I only see Hellebuck continuing to put in more work and getting better. And uh, by, by the end of the, again, early in the year, he had to, you know, stand on his head a lot of nights. And there was a night in San Jose where I think he had to make close to 50 saves. But I mean, I think the Jets team structure got better as the year went on. But without Hellebuck, uh, they definitely would have found themselves closer to being a lottery team than, than being a bubble team. That's for certain. Yeah, and that's I've I've been able to kind of follow Hellbuck's career because him and I kind of worked alongside each other because he went to, he there was a goaltending school down here in Michigan called Bandits Goaltending. Shout out to my old goalie coach Joe Messina, and he worked with them and I worked with them as well. So I've been able to kind of see Hellbuck grow when he was at UMass and then even a little bit when he was briefly with St. John's and then it's it was almost at first when he first came to the Jets back in I think it was like 2015 and what 2016 just to see him grow into becoming a star goaltender because you saw the potential at the at the collegiate level but to see him become to simply grow to this Vesna caliber goaltender possible you know team MVP it's almost just kind of rewarding to see the growth of a goaltender like that through your system because not many teams have had that ability to get a goaltender through their system as efficiently as the Jets had here with Hellebuck yeah it's just an incredible story when when you look at Connor Hellbuck being a fifth round pick out of the Odessa Jackalopes, uh, not a lot of uh, notoriety coming out of the program uh, with all due respect to their program. But uh, here's a guy that had to deal with a lot of disappointment. I mean, that year he wasn't drafted in the USHL draft and then he wasn't drafted in the NAHL draft. And uh, although Odessa was obviously interested and, and got him to go there, uh, he basically had to take the job and, and he, he took it with, he took it and ran with it and was exceptional. And even when he got to UMass uh, Lowell, I mean, he was started as a backup and then ripped the starting job out of the, the experienced guy's hands. And, uh, you know, he had to do that with the Jets too. I mean, first he filled in when Andre Pavlik was injured, uh, had an exceptional run, uh, but was sent back to the minors after that. I mean, that would have been a, a bit of a bit of adversity to deal with as well. But uh, at the time, the Jets were doing that more to protect them. Uh, they weren't a playoff team that year, and you know the next year, Helva came up and and again took the starting job out of Steve Mason's hands after the Jets signed an experienced uh, experienced guy. So uh, I think he's handled himself incredibly well. He has uh, cons- you know consistently been challenged and accepted those challenges and answered the challenge uh, in a lot of regards. And again, I, being around him since he's been drafted, and seeing his growth and development as well, uh, it's been an impressive to watch and. As mentioned, I don't think this is a guy that's that's happy 
with having two of the three Vesna seasons. I mean, he wants to be a Vesna candidate every year, and, and he's driven to, to become the best goalie in the National Hockey League. Now, now with all due respect to Connor Hallibuck, I do believe the Leafs have a little, the Toronto Maple Leafs have a little bit of credit due for them to get rid of Steve Mason out of Winnipeg. What was it, five goals, I think, on that opening night game uh, back in 16 17, or no, 17 18 it was, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, it was a tough start uh, to the year. I think Mason gave up nine goals in the first two starts. But, uh, I mean, again, he had, this was not an easy situation for him. I mean, he was a starter. Clear-cut starter the year before, shared the net with Michael Hutchinson, but Pavlik had been put on waivers, sent to the Moose. This was his job. Uh, he had a bit of an up-and-down stretch. He was pulled a lot, had, a, had some things to work through. Uh, and then the Jets wanted a safety valve. Uh, they signed Steve Mason. I mean, you don't sign – there's not a lot of teams signing a $4 million backup. So, Hellebuck uh, came in. I think he came in against the Edmonton Oilers and – same idea. I mean, you just didn't give the net back. Obviously, Mason had some injury trouble, but uh, Hellebuck made sure that the coaching staff could trust him, and he delivered when he was asked to, to play. And I mean, he's a workhorse. He loves to play. I know in the NHL, they're moving towards more of a, a tandem or goalie share load management type of system in a lot of markets. But uh, Hellebuck really, at least at this stage of his career, certainly loves the workload and, and feels like he gets into more of a rhythm if he can be in that you know 60 start range. Yeah, because I, I believe I wrote a piece on it for the Hockey Writers a while back that no goaltender really plays above 70. I think Cam Talbot a couple of years ago was the last one to do it for like the last few years because the tandem is such an important deal, and that kind of leads me to my question about Lorraine Brassois. He is a UFA this year. Is he a guy that the Jets bring back? Do you give a guy like Eric Comrie a shot? Do they look elsewhere? Where is the backup situation there in Winnipeg? Yeah, you know, it's a great question. I do think that there would be consideration for both guys. I think that Bersois is a very capable backup. Obviously, his numbers dipped this year. Uh, you know, there was some regression expected after a career year, but uh, Bersois had a just, I mean, I would say there were a couple of tough outings in the back end of back-to-backs that really uh, impacted the numbers uh, to a certain degree, but by the end of the year, he was back playing steady, steady hockey, so... Uh, for him, it's a comfortable situation. Uh, he works very closely with, uh, you know, the Net360 group, and there's a great relationship there, working relationship with Connor Hellebuck and Lauren Bersois. Uh, Eric Comrie works out with those guys as well. He would be under consideration for the backup job, but uh, I, I don't see a scenario where the Jets don't have another experienced goalie in the mix, whether that's Bersois or someone like a Thomas Grice or, or someone along those lines. But, uh, Mikhail Burden is a guy they're very high on in the organization, the Russian prospect, but he needs another year. I mean, he, I think he had 42 games this year, but he hasn't had that type of workload at the American League before this year. Uh, he played a lot of the East Coast League level year prior, so uh, I see him as being at least a year away still. So, I mean, I wrote about it this week. I mean, there's going to be some interesting options. I think they'll probably more likely go to the trade or the free agency option, but again, they're going to explore all kinds of things and the last time when, when Brassois was, was signed initially to a one-year, one one-way deal, it raised a lot of eyebrows here because, no offense to Brassois, he was known as a prospect, but a lot of time guys with the limited experience that Brassois had at the NHL level don't get one-way deals. So uh, do they look for the next Lauren Brassois and try to get somebody who had a really good year at the NHL level? I mean, that would be a possibility as well. But uh, it would be definitely uh, very interesting to see what they do there, but I do think that right now Brassois would be the, the best bet and for him, a year ago, he thought he'd sign a one-year deal and maybe chase a starting job. But 
after the year that he had, uh, even with a strong finish, I think he'd probably be better served uh, to stay in a comfortable situation and, uh, you know, serve as the apprentice for one more year and then see where that takes him, especially with Seattle coming in year after. Yeah, that's going to be interesting how everyone tries to do the expansion draft for how the GMs prepare. Because I think a lot of GMs learn their lesson after after the Vegas Golden Knights pretty much <laughs> ransacked a lot of a lot of great talent. And thankfully, they're and they've hey, you know what? If it works for if Seattle can pull it off and somehow go with the GMs again, I mean it's it's great for the league, just not the teams that were goaded. Last question before I let you go here, Ken. If this, you know, if everything goes to plan, if Gary Batman gets whatever, you know, if we can do it safely, if the season comes back, what would the Jets have to do? Now, granted, we don't know what the regular season would look like or, you know, whatever would be left of it. What would the Jets kind of have to do on the ice in order to kind of put themselves back into a very competitive role into the postseason? Yeah, you know what? I mean, they, they were playing the type of playoff hockey that they would have needed to play at the time of the pause. I mean, I think they were 6-3-1 and one in their last 10, uh, even coming out. Of it, like They struggled going into the All-Star and player break, but they came out strong even though they lost their first game to Boston 2-1. Uh, it sort of set the template for how they needed to play down the stretch. So I think it's sort of just getting back to how they were playing. Uh, again, like I mentioned, they had the lead offensive talent. I think their defense core was uh, close to its healthiest and playing at its best uh, by the time uh, the pause arrived. So as long as Hellebuck can continue to play at the level that he did before the break, uh, I would you know, I would say the Jets would be one of those type of teams that if they're in the playoff mix and if they can get through the qualifying portion of the 24 to 16, I think they could be a team that would be dangerous to play against. I mean, I don't think a lot of teams would want to want to go up against uh, the great equalizer that is Connor Hellebuck. But uh, again, they would go in as a, as a heavy underdog, but they have the type of potential to uh, maybe pull off an upset or two. And then, I mean, as the Blues showed last year, I mean, the Jets haven't been, haven't had that, you know, vast a turnaround to their season. But, I mean, they would be a team that would be... I, I could see them being dangerous uh, in the playoffs. Certainly not uh, predicting a Stanley Cup victory by any stretch, but uh, they would be the type of team that, that could uh, put a little... strike a little bit of fear into uh, several teams, at least, that's for sure. Now, now, quick answer for this one. Would you prefer a 16-team playoff like we've had traditionally, or would you be okay with the idea of having a 24-team playoff if they're not able to do a complete regular season? Quick answer. Yeah, for, no, no problem. I, I prefer 24 in this case. I mean, I just I understand, and it's not just because the Jets would be out of the 16 team race. I just I don't believe in points percentage in this situation because you can't assume that those teams with games in hand were going to win those games. And to take it further, I mean, the Stars have lost six in a row, and the Jets are two points behind them. So I just don't think it would be fair to penalize teams like the Jets who would qualify on points but not points percentage. So. I'm totally okay with the plan style, wild card style, but it has to be best of three just based on the circumstances. Yeah, I just have just so I mean, it like I said, it's a weird time. Everything is odd. We've never experienced this before, and fingers crossed, knock on wood, we don't have to do it again. But thank you very much, Ken, for coming on today. Ken Weep, folks, once again, beat writer for the Winnipeg Jets at the Athletic, and remember he talked about that piece that the backup goaltending targets he posted that a couple days ago it's on there and of course he also wrote a piece about bob essenza great to walk down memory lane with bob up there and uh, 
happy to join you. Grand Rapids was one of the enjoyable cities to visit during my uh, decade covering the American Hockey League. I tell you, I, I like I told you before, I, I never it's it's interesting to see everyone's everyone else's take because I like I love going to other places and people are like, oh, yeah, this city's not that great. And I go there. I'm like, oh, it's awesome. But thank you very much, Ken. And um, hopefully, hopefully we chat soon. Hopefully we chat about actual action going on in hockey. Hopefully that comes out soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. Stay safe, Charlie. Yeah, you too, Ken. Have a good one. And once again, a big thank you to Ken Weeb of The Athletic Winnipeg. You can follow Ken on Twitter at Weeb Athletic. He got, has the blue check mark next to his name, so you know he's official. And once again, go on The Athletic. Even though I know, yes, spending money right now, it's awful. How could you do that? It's not that expensive. And you get some of the best writing in sport on the website. Not just hockey, but all your favorite sports. All the way from to Premier League, to racing, to football, of course, to the NHL as well. Ken is one of the top writers. We'll put his profile in the description of this week's episode. And yes, I write, I'm writing it down now because I always seem to forget. So go on down there and click it and get all the great content from the Winnipeg Jets and around Manitoba as well. Always a good talking and Always great to talk to some of the folks from the Athletic. We had Scott Powers on before last season, the 18-19 season, talking Blackhawks, and that was interesting because we realized kind of how how bad the Hawks ended up being because we nobody knew if they were going to be a good team, they were going to be a bad team, and you know we were hoping they were going to be good. So was Scott, but it just didn't go their way. So now moving on to our next guest here. We, yesterday I got a good word win with Joe Messina. Joe is my former goaltending coach. And him and I have known each other for a very long time. And he is one of the busiest men, not just here in West Michigan, but probably one of the busiest men in hockey. The man runs so many different businesses with Stan over there, not just at Bandits, but he's a big proprietor of Masked Marvel, one of the premier goaltending masks around, unfortunately not used in the NHL. He's a component or proponent of Edge Protect. Yes, I know those little black rubber things you see during NHL warm-ups or even college warm-ups? Yeah, that was behind the mind of Joe and Stan. Let's find out how it all came to be in this week's interview with Joe Messina. And now, ladies and gentlemen, in appearance two years in the making, he is my former goaltending coach. He is one of the lead coaches for Bandits Goaltending School and has arguably the longest email signature known to man. Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, Jumpin' Joe Messina. Joe, Thank you. how are you, sir? Doing well, doing well. Trying to stay out of trouble uh, with all the things that are going on and just trying to stay healthy and safe out there and just trying to do uh, one day at a time. Is I'm I'm home, uh, not being able to go to the ice rink. So I have uh, my family to attend to, which is sort of uh, an odd thing for me with my schedule because I'm usually never home. So it's been uh, it's been sort of nice to be home for the last two months, sort of helping the girls with school, seeing my wife, uh, being with the family on a, on a daily basis. So I, I can't complain. Yeah, I know because I mean, how long have we know each other, Joe? It's been at least 15 oh, years at least, right? Or something absolutely. like that. I, th- I think you might have been playing 
Kiwi hockey for Graha, to be honest with you. So it, yeah, it's been it's been a while. Gosh, back in old Double A days, and I I yeah. mentioned why it's hilarious because Joe has. So I emailed Joe back and forth. I'm not going to reveal the email address because as much as I know Joe wants the business and the work right now, the man has four different logos in his like little profile pic on his email and has seven different companies for one email. Oh, oh gosh. It, it, uh, there's, a lot that, there's a lot that goes on in my daily life, that's for sure. More than just goaltending. It's well, because I'd always talk to you, and it sounded like you never sleep. Has it been nice to catch up on your sleep now with this quarantine? I, I've actually have kept, uh, you know, I stay up late doing a lot of random stuff, and then I, I'm a, I'm more of a work, like a morning guy. I like to wake up, have my cup of coffee, catch up on some news, and I get back to work. It's just I, I've sort of found my still have my little my my work moments. So I'm just trying to stay ahead of the ball game here with hopefully hockey coming back here shortly, and just trying to get. Uh, the guys taking care of once we start up and getting everyone back on the ice to get training. Cause there hasn't been, you know, two months now with no ice has really hurt a lot of our students because some of these guys were in the midst of, you know, getting ready for playoffs, getting ready for nationals in the midst of uh, state tournaments. Uh, you know, so it was definitely uh, tough to see all that come to a halt, but uh, hopefully these guys get back on the ice here shortly. I forgot to mention that Joe is one of the assistant coaches for the Davenport men's D1 team at Davenport while he helps out yes. with all the other teams as well. And that, I mean, we were going to go down to Dallas, Joe. We were going to have a great yes. time. I was going to get I was some looking forward to it. Thomas was going to be there as well, but unfortunately it all came to a halt. So what does, I mean, I mean, I can go through a quick list of your stuff, you know, of your, I guess your resume, if you will, you, you're the you know, president of standalone designs. You're, Start up the second string leather company, which we'll talk about. Mast Marvel, TPH Hockey, here in Grand Rapids, Bandits, Edge Protect, Peg, and he does all this stuff. So, what has it been like to just actually be stuck at home doing this work? I mean, instead of being at the rink, like you said, and being involved on the ice. Uh, you know, honestly, with uh, us being at home, it's it's more or less you know trying to focus a lot of our stuff to social media. Um, you know, trying to stay up to, up to date with, uh, whether it's articles or videos. And it was tough because a lot of the videos that we had are obviously old, you know, we don't have any new content because we're not able to go to the ice rink and shoot any video. So you're trying to dig through archive footage of just old drills that are, you know, whether they're off ice conditioning drills or hand-eye coordination, core strength. And uh, it was actually nice because, uh, Brian's. Uh, with one of their pro goalies who plays in the American Hockey League, uh, Connor Delia. Yep. They actually did a, uh, a a training segment of just things you can do at home. You don't need, uh, obviously, ice. You don't even really need that many, whether it was like racquetballs, a bouncing board. I mean, there's a lot of unique things that they did over the course of the last uh, probably two weeks that we've been putting up on our bandit social media that kids actually really like. And then we even sent all of our kids about a month and a half ago, we sent them uh, our workout program that we provide our students uh, in the summertime. We actually gave that out for free to all of our students this uh, during the COVID um, predicament, you know, so trying to keep kids active. I know a lot of kids don't have access to gyms, but, you know, whether it's going for a bike ride, rollerblading, playing basketball, tennis, now you can golf. I mean, just trying to get out and enjoy the fresh air is nice uh, because everyone was sort of cooped up in the beginning for so long. And I think that we're getting to the uh, end of the tunnel here and seeing some light. So hopefully 
we're going to be <laughs> let, out, let out of our cages here in the next uh, coming days. Yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see, especially now. I mean, there is talk about the NHL, and of course, we just had NASCAR this past weekend, UFC. Yep. So there is stuff going on and around. And I guess for for guys like us, it's more or less like, oh, okay, well, it's still the off season. I mean, you yourself at of least will still have bandits. Uh, goaltending school which we will definitely put links to that banditsgoaltending.com get on there and get all your good stuff because i've been with bandit oh i was a bandits for i was there for a few years i went away came back in high school mm-hmm. and then i was there through pretty much the end of my playing career uh, yeah many many years absolutely it, i'll be honest with you for uh for our goalie school you know we, uh, you know i i know it's tough for a lot of goalie coaches and a lot of schools that are out there because you know, it's sort of the unknown and we're in the same boat with everybody because, you know, they could open up ice rinks in June and July, but yet they might only limit 10, 15 players on the ice, you know? So at our camps, we carry anywhere from 24 to 32 goalies, 10 instructors, 15 shooters. I mean, there's upwards of 60 players on the ice. So this, you know, this coming summer, we're going to have to possibly be creative of what type of restrictions may be brought to the ice rink. Uh, kids might have to come dressed to the ice rink. You know, we're hearing all these different scenarios and you're just trying to, I guess, wait till the end to see what the final say is. But uh, it's definitely going to be a, a challenging summer. But, you know, we've been this is our 21st summer. We've been doing this for 21 years now with bandits. And I feel like there's not a situation that we can't handle. And I know like our staff and uh, the owner and director of bandits, uh, Stan Matwiv, who's been, you know, he's my business partner, one of my best friends, you know, I stood up in his wedding. I mean, he's, he's a guy that I've known since I was 16 years old. You know, we've, we've gone through a lot with our company and it's grown and obviously being one of the top goalie schools in the country, you know, you try to set the precedent of like what others can do to follow. Um, and we're just hoping to have a good summer. We really are. We're just hoping to have, you know, everyone comes to the rink healthy and we're able to put a good product on the ice and get guys ready to go for, uh, late spring, early summer for tryouts. And, uh, even for some of the kids that we train are going off to, we have a couple of females that we train. They're going off to the, like us select camps later on in the summertime. You know, we're hoping that those are still available for the young, you know, the young females. And then we even have our, you know, our, even our young athletes that go overseas to play, you know, it's, it's just such a question mark right now of what's going to be open for these athletes, you know? So it's, it's, it's really trying to, you know, get them prepared, whether the tournaments or showcases happen, that's out of their control, but what they can control is to get after it once the uh, rinks open up and, and the gyms open up and just, you know, I think moving full, you know, full steam ahead. And I, I I'm sort of, you know, for me as a coach, I've been sort of like really reflecting on like this downtime that I've had is sort of like got me fired up to get back on the ice. You know, it's, it's definitely a long grind for me, you know, throughout the course of the summertime and I go into the season, I do my trainings with my teams and obviously my colleges that I work with. It's, it's definitely, you know, not a normal nine to five job and it's not for everybody because, you know, some days are 14 to 16 hours whether I'm at the rink or on the ice or in video sessions or even on the phone with my guys, just trying to get them focused on what's, you know, upcoming and you know, reviewing some video with them. It's, it's just trying to get them prepared and it's a grind and it's, it's where it wears on you. And after doing it, you know, I've been doing this now full time for 26 years now. Um, you know, so for me, it was, I'm excited to get back to the rink. I'm excited to see our students. I'm excited to, 
just get after it again. So it's almost like I'm being re-energized uh, during this downtime. So it's sort of an exciting time for me because I'm getting anxious to get back out on the ice and, and get back to training our goalies. I'm almost anxious to get back in the broadcast booth. I've been getting all jonesed up and stuff. I bought a bunch of like sound equipment that I don't even think I needed, but I'm like, yeah, this may work <laughs> later on. I mean, let's just, I mean, my interview with Bill McSween is great, but now we have like five people talking to him at once. It'll be awesome. Maybe we'll get, maybe we'll, maybe we'll convince Billy to send you up and do one of our intermission interviews Ooh. one of these days. I yeah. love it. That'd be outstanding. You and Billy think you guys are just going to be the greatest things on the mic. It's hilarious sometimes because every time I talk <laughs> Billy's to Billy's got, Billy's got the gift of gab. I'm more of a, I like to listen and watch and then I'll formulate my own opinion later. But Billy, he's, uh, and it's, it's funny cause I've known Billy, you know, gosh, he's been, uh, with us how, at how, Davenport. How long you been at DU? I started at Davenport in 2005. So pretty early on in the program's history then. Yes. Yes. And that was when, uh, Paul Loudon, the current AD, uh, Davenport, he was the head coach and he, um, he brought me on just after Christmas. So I started, uh, in 2005 in January and, uh, it was amazing. You know, it's, it's a big, happy family and to sort of see, and, and I work with the girls team, uh, the ACHA D2 team with head coaches, Chris Green, and then obviously with Phil's team and the D1 team and, you know, to work with all the coaches and just sort of see all the athletes sort of grow and develop and, and move on and graduate is, is awesome because now you're seeing them go from freshman to senior year and they, you know, they come in as a young adult and they leave, you know, as a provider that they can provide for their family. They can, you know, get married just like yourself. I mean, it, it's amazing to see how things sort of start. And some of the goalies I've worked with, you know, like yourself, I've known for so long, you know, you, you just never realize you have like type of connection with certain people. I, I've had other goalies in the area that I've worked with, you know, for 15 years where they've gone from squirt and peewee all the way through college and pro. I mean, that's, I'm a, a piece of their life basically. And it's, 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 it's nice to know that I've, I've helped them along and stayed the course to do well in school and do well off the ice and just sort of be a good person at the end of the day um, is really why I do what I do. Uh, you know, it's, it's one thing to be a coach or a goalie coach, but it's, it's also good to be a mentor and friend because a lot of people need it. You know, a lot of people just need someone to talk to or bounce ideas off. And I, I enjoy that. I really do. So I, out of your time here. So yeah, it's about 15, over 15 years now with DU. Who has been, I won't ask you who was your favorite because I feel like some guys end up listening to this podcast and they'll get very little, maybe a little butt hurt. Who have been some of your favorite goaltenders to work here at Davenport? Oh goodness! Don't say I've had a lot of gr- don't say I've me because I know great. that'll be a lie. You know, it's it's I I've I've, I've 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 liked them all to be honest with you. I mean, like everyone has their pluses and minuses, but I I like them all. I mean, I wish I could be there more, and I wish I could give more, as I'm sure everybody would as a coach. I mean, it's it's just tough because I'm I'm extremely busy with everything else. And I, I feel like when I'm there, I try to give my best to my guys and give them, you know, and sometimes I just like to have questions presented to me. Sometimes they just keep things in and they don't ask questions. And it just sort of, you know, it's like, I want, I want to, I want someone to be like engaged. And so I've always had like, uh, you know, when, uh, you know, there was Eric Rupert early on, you know, great personality, Chris Joswiak. I mean, there was Scott Knight, 
there was uh, Phil Graveline. There was, you know, the, like the list goes on and on. I mean, these are all high caliber, all American goalies. There's Clayton Brown, Matt Kalutis, who's still on our staff now. I mean, these guys are not just great goaltenders, but at the end of the day, they're great people. And those are the types of people that I gravitate to because there are even goalies that I've brought in as well. So it's, it's, it's nice to sort of see goalies that I've personally recruited, brought in, and that have has stayed the whole entire course and have graduated and, and truly got the most out of Davenport and became what, I guess, maybe the, the model of what, you know, DU athletics is. And it's just be, you know, becoming a well, a well-rounded student athlete during your time at the university. And I, I've been fortunate enough to see it from you know, where it was in 2005 into where it is in, you know, 2020 going into 2021. And it's just, I mean, literally full circle. It's it's not even the same university it once was, and now it's truly on the map. And not just you know academics, but athletics. You know, from football, baseball, basketball to obviously all the hockey programs. It's truly a big athletic campus. And I know DU is proud of that. I know uh, Paul Loudon's proud of the products that he puts on the the ice and on the courts and on the fields through all the athletic departments. And it's 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 truly remarkable to see where it's come and sort of put its you know footprint here in Grand Rapids. It's, it's truly remarkable. Yeah, you talk about Paul Loudon, the all-time leader in goals and points at Ferris State University. Still waiting. Yep, on that, absolutely. Still waiting on that royalties check from him. Um, <laughs> but obviously, you know, outside of Davenport, outside of Bandits, outside of just being a goaltending coach, you're still involved in the game in so many ways. And you were one, and you're part of Edge Protect. Mm-hmm. And Anyone who goes to an NHL game, and I guess uh, you know some of the ECHL teams do as well, but a lot of AHL teams, mm-hmm. everyone wonders what are those bottom things on the post, those little black rubber things. You know what are those? You were kind of a part of starting those, and actually you brought those yeah. when I think I was playing Pee Wee as well, and I thought, well, these things are dumb; they're in the way, and I, you know, blah blah yeah. blah. But they became this utilizing tool that every NHL team uses in practice and warmups and. Tell us about how Edge Protect came to be. Oh, goodness. Um, well, I own Edge Protect, uh, Mass Marvel, and Piranha Peg with uh, the owner and director of Bandits, Stan Matwiv. So he's my business partner with, with those three companies. And it was uh, ironic how it all sort of started. Is I was living in Minnesota at the time. When I graduated college, I got a job with uh, DeWalt Black & Becker Power Tools. And I happened to move from Grand Rapids, where I was here for a year, after I graduated college, I got the job for Davin. I'm sorry, I got the job for DeWalt Black and Decker here in Grand Rapids, and I was here for a year. And I got a job promotion, so I had to move to Minnesota. And it was, uh, you know, I'm, I'm living there by myself and not too much to do. So I was, you know, still in, uh, you know, talks with Stan every day or every couple of days. We're always talking on hockey and stuff and the goalie school because that bandits was going on at the time when I was in Minnesota, and this is back in. Oh gosh, probably 2003, 2004. And uh, we were working on Mass Marvels at the time. So Mass Marvel took longer to start than Edge Protect. So we were working on Mass Marvels for, you know, a handful of months. And it was, it was ironic. It was, uh, he was working with Jason Bacashua at the time. Cash. And Jason, yep, Cash, yep. So he, I mean, played in the NHL. He plays still overseas. Um, and they were doing a private lesson and I'll never, I'll never forget it because he called me immediately after the session. He's like, I got an idea. He's like, you know, I was working with, uh, Jason. He kept going back to the post, sliding into the post and he just kept ramming his blades into the post. He's like, after 
10, 15 minutes of drills with him, he, he couldn't stand up. He had no edge. And so he's, you know, he's like, man, I, he's like, I got to think and blah, blah, blah. And he's, you know, he started throwing these ideas around and it took about six to eight months uh, to come up with the, basically the, the brainchild of edge protect. And we've been, you know, producing them ever since. So we're going on 16 years now. And I, I think we've probably sold close to over a hundred thousand sets worldwide. I mean, they're used in the NHL, the American league, pretty much every NCAA program uses it. They're in, think about 70 some retail stores we have about 15 distributors worldwide sales reps i mean it it it, it just it's amazing to see how that's grown um and it's it's special to see on the net you know i i still get i still get excited when i'm at a you know at a game or i see a photo and i look down on the post and you know that's our product you know and i was i always think back to you know how it basically started and that idea turned into something that you see today on on, on majority of the nets you know, it's because when I actually went to Davenport, man, it seems like forever ago now, when I was on the student staff, I would actually make sure that you guys had the, those on the post during before warmups. And I, think they, I think they go, I mean, we've had, it's funny because, you know, they're used, they're actually an official product of the NHL. So they're actually used and they're like mandatory to be used in all of the warmups. So a lot oh, of teams really? will use them in pregame skates or in practice, but for warmups, like for pregame warmup, they have to have them on the nets. Um, and some goalies will get like so irate if they're not on the nets or in the NHL or if they're not, if they, they don't have them in the, their summertime training. You know, we've had some pretty high profile NHL guys contact us in the summertime to get sets. And it's been pretty cool. I mean, Martin Brodeur called us one day and he, he ordered sets. This is, you know, probably 10, 12 years ago. And I'm like, you know, this is Martin Brodeur calling about wanting edge protect. You know, Mark Andre Fleury, these guys train with their products in the summertime. They're big name guys and they're using our product in the summertime. And it's just something simple. You know, it's just, it's the simplest practice clamps on the post and saves a goalie's blade. Well, because that, I mean, think about it. Because Bakash was probably one of the earliest, and I, I don't want to say butterfly slide type goaltenders, but you go back to like watch a game. From the late '90s, early 2000s, yes, mm-hmm. there was the butterfly style, but there wasn't the butterfly slide, the T push slide across as a goaltender across the crease, and that kind of started to come with goaltenders like Bakashua. Even though, yes, he wasn't you know the NHL star, but that kind of started around that time, and then yes. and then eventually you kind of realize, well, just out of necessity because you slide back to the post. You don't want to slide back to the post, and yeah, you, and that was sort of the 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 whole the caveat of everything is, you know, we basically had a goalie school at our disposal to use the students as guinea pigs. <laughs> so for all of our products, you know, we, 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 you know, we had, and at the time when edge protect was starting off, uh, Stan was at university of Michigan as their goalie coach. So we had, you know, Al Montoya using them and he was giving us feedback, uh, LJ Scarface, uh, Noah Rudin. These guys are there. How all high profile goalies at university of Michigan, and they're using our product. So right when we officially launched the product, I mean, we got a lot of teams. We got a lot of colleges and pro teams to use them, and they still use them today. I mean, it's 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 truly remarkable to see the longevity of how long these things last. Because we, I think, we've almost made them too good. But it's you know, it's 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 uh, it's nothing fancy. It's something simple, but it's almost more of a peace of mind thing for a goaltender to sort of look down. They know that their blades are protected, so when they go back to the post, they don't ding them, especially if you're getting ready, you know, you're in a championship game and you're in warmups and you go back and you hit your blade. Now you have a, a bummed wheel. 
you have to get your skate sharpened. You're sort of like your focus is lost. You're sort of you're in a little bit of a panic before a you know possibly the biggest game is there with you know a bad edge, and that's just something that we like to help prevent by having this product. You know, I I wonder. We'll get to Mass Marvel here next, but I wonder, Joe, back when you played. By the way, Joe Messina, famous uh, Southern University of New York Brockport goaltender. Yes. Uh, looked up your numbers on elite prospects today. We'll just leave those off to the side for now. Um, perfect, perfect. That's great. Were you, were you one of those? Cause I was called, I had Rachel and Danae Anderson on last week, uh, big oh, hockey nice. fans. And they were, they, cause I told them I was a goaltender. I'm like, Oh, it all makes sense. Cause I told them how I love to get booed, all my mannerisms, whatever. <laughs> were you one of the gold? Are you, were you a goaltender that was really superstitious? Like had to have a routine, like nothing could change on a game day. Were you one of those or were you just an easygoing guy? I was, I was probably easy going. I mean, I, it's amazing to see now the type of, um, psychology that goes on with the mental side of the game. Cause when I played, there was nothing of, of that. And I, so I didn't really know about superstitions or I didn't really have any pregame routines. I mean, I might've played catch with my goalie partner or just sort of stretch before a game, but it's, uh, it was definitely a privilege because early on when Bennett's first started, we actually had Dr. Hugh Bray. He was the sports psychologist at university of Michigan for like 30 plus years. Okay. And he was actually, uh, his son came to our school. And so we got to know Dr. Hugh, Bla- Dr. Hugh Bray early on as a sports psychologist. And then we ended up bringing him on, on staff and he would actually talk to our kids during the, during school and the summertime. And to learn some of the things that he was talking about with breathing techniques and, you know, just I wouldn't say superstitious because you like for us, like how I teach my guys is you shouldn't be superstitious. Like if uh, Tyler well, that didn't help me, <laughs> and it's tough because, you know, a lot of and this is where I try to tell my students is that you say you say, it was, I don't know, say it's playing. Uh, you're bouncing a ball against the wall for your hand eye coordination. You do it every every time you have a game and you're starting, you're bouncing that ball. Well, what happens if you forget the ball? And you don't have a ball to bounce against the wall. So now you're stuck like, oh, my gosh, you're in, like a, you're in a panic before your game starts because your pregame routine is broken. Or I, I got to have pasta every single day before I have my start. Well, how there's no pasta that day. So it, it, it shouldn't be like these are things that you can't control. But what you can control is your mind. So you're almost your pregame routine should be more like mind, mind exercises that you always have with you at all times that you can do. And nothing can hold that back from you. But, you know, something that is physical, like a ball or a jump rope or cones that you could forget that sort of screw up your pregame routine could come back and, and bite you. But, you know, for me, I didn't really have any crazy routines, but it's been interesting to see how, like, listen to these sports psychologists, because now we have Mike Stacy, who is phenomenal. Uh, he's the head strength and conditioning coach and mind coach over at De La Salle on the east side of the state. He's been with us for a handful of years. He's incredible. And I, I mean, a lot of our students just really gravitate to him because he's a goalie. He, uh, he's a strength coach, obviously a sports psychologist, extremely intelligent. And to hear these guys talk about, you know, different mind exercises you can do with your routine is unbelievable now. And I, I, that, that's why I think the trend for goaltending has, has really changed because of the fact of technology, of how goalies can do visual training how they can do you know different types of things with uh slide boards and uh hand-eye coordination uh they have the reaction boards now there's and now they even have um like visual learning with uh 
like artificial intelligence with uh, you know the, the sports goggles you can wear now too. So there, there's yeah. there's so much different technology that's now available to an athlete that wasn't even available five ten years ago is is truly remarkable to see how these goals and athletes can develop with not even being on the ice or even on a uh, playing field for that matter. And that's why it's almost like at this time it's almost beneficial to have that technology given the circumstances that we're in and absolutely and you know we talked about Clayton Brown earlier and how great of a goaltender Mm -hmm. he was coming over to DU I remember the superstitions he had I thought I was bad (laughs) Clayton Brown would have a bad period this is what I was told I never saw it live because I was never in the room but I swear Joe you can probably tell me if this is true or not if he had a bad period he would literally take all of his gear off down to his skivvies and put it back on again. Yep. Yeah. It's almost like a reset. And it, I mean, it helped. I mean, he was a pretty darn good goaltender. And mm-hmm. I just remember, like I heard that story and I, it's funny. Cause when I was doing, I did some road games this year with you and I got to travel and I always sat next to Janice and Alex, oh, Zach absolutely. Janice and Alexander Rogers, Alex yep. Rogers from sunny Anaheim, California, as Mike Lee would say. Absolutely. And they, we would like talk about it in, and from what I see, like Zach is more superstitious than Alex. And I remember I'd tell him how bad I was with my superstitions and they'd be like, man. And I'm like, but then I told him Clayton Brown and then they're like, oh, we're not that bad at all. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. It, and it's, it's funny because with, uh, with how the goalies are now, and I, I, and it's, it's great because the guys that we have and now, you know, the young guys, it's, it was, it was great to see, you know, Rhino really sort of pass that torch onto the young guys this year. And it was tough because, you know, we, we got our season cut short. And, you know, it's sort of like you know, you're always going to wonder, you know, question mark how the season was going to finish. And, but to see how our young guys stepped up this year and how they developed throughout the course of years, Xander and Janice are, were awesome. And we're excited to have them back, you know, coming into their second year as they're both going to be sophomores. And so it's, it's, and it's, it's good because each of them are, again, quirky in their own right. You know, like uh, X is, you know, he's – you know, he's goofy and funny, but on game day, he's serious. And same thing with, uh, with Janice, you know, it's, everyone's got their way of how they approach the game and, uh, whatever locks them in. And, and that's on game days. It's, you know, usually you, just, you don't want to like go have a crazy conversation with your, with your goaltender to let him do his thing. That's like Monday through Thursday, you dial them in so they can shine on a Friday and Saturday. Yeah. I never, I never let Chris Green talked to me before a game. The only time I ever had him talking before a game was I said, I'm like, just tell me. I wanted to know the day in advance when I was going to play because he knew that it took me that long. Well, I don't say that long to get ready, but he knew I was superstitious. I had my routine and the sophomore year at work, the freshman year. Well, I didn't play a whole lot to really mention, but and of course, a lot of these goaltenders that do come through Davenport, they use a certain mask by the brand of Mask Marvel, another one of your companies. And I still have mine that you got me my freshman year at Davenport. And I tell you, there was not, I mean, I've used some pretty good masks. I've used Vaughn masks before. I used the Hackva for, I think before, mm-hmm. when I was in high school, Masked Marvel is, I, I wouldn't, I could not have made it through that first year of <laughs> D3 just because of all the headshots I took without a Masked Marvel mask. I and, appreciate that. And it's, well, you remember my reaction when you brought it in the room, I almost thought yeah, it was like Christmas morning in September. It was awesome. Absolutely. It's it, yeah. Have, having the mask company was it's been my lifelong dream, and I've always been fascinated with goalie masks. And to have a company that has been around since two thousand and four, two thousand five, 
and to see it grow and develop and sort of the materials change and the foam and the cages and the styles and the shapes has been remarkable. Cause you know, we started off with one helmet and now we have seven that we offer, you know, so for, and you know, we're in retail stores. Uh, obviously we have a lot of high end athletes that wear them from junior college and pro all the way down to little guys uh, that are squirting peewee level. So it's, it, we cover a broad range of, um, athletes and head sizes but um you know to me i take really good pride and it like means a lot to me because i've always had the name in my head when i was a child like of mass marvel and like you know he's a masked warrior and uh, to sort of see it go from where it first started to where it is today it, it's truly remarkable and it's and it's, it's it's i'm blessed to have a company that is you know well well respected in the hockey world because there isn't that many hockey companies that make goalie helmets and we like to think of ourselves as more of like a boutique type mask because it is you know some are you know they're custom fitted they're csa and heck approved they're you know there's a lot of attention to detail that are into each of these masks because they're they take about 20 hours to make from start to finish we're using a lot of high-end material they're made in they're actually made in canada um and we take a lot of pride in how they're made from start to finish so when like I, like you said, when you got that mask, it was like Christmas. So when I, I love the fact of like, when I give the, the individual their mask and maybe it has a paint job on it and they, you know, we've had some goalies that have worked all summer long to pay for their paint job or that it took them a whole year or two to save up for it, to get that paint job. And when they got it and it, they take it out of that bag and they're like, just so stoked to wear it. I mean, that's, that that's the reason why I do it. It's, I mean, I remember you would just come up to me, whether it be working out or actually doing an on ice session. You just come at me with your phone and just show me, like, oh, look at this mask we're painting. You look at this mask that's getting painted. I'm just like, yep. do you ever think that someday? I don't know. Do any of the any do any of the NHLers use Mask Marvel that you know? No, we oh, don't yeah. have a contract with the NHL guys. That oh. that's a pretty. So you see a lot of CCM and Bauer in there because they pay the NHL licensing fee, and it is pretty expensive to. Um, to pay that on a yearly basis. And with us, we, we tend to focus more on our CSA and HEC approval. So we're more into the yeah. retail level. So we're in, we have about, uh, I'd say 15 stores throughout the United States that we're in, and we're going to be growing this spring and summer. Uh, we have a really good plan that we're coming out with. And I, I'm lucky enough because my mask sales rep is Brad Johnson. He's the Brian's uh, retail rep. Yep. Uh, for Brian's goalie equipment. So he does a phenomenal job. I mean, he's obviously already in the retail stores, but he is an incredible salesman for Brian's. And he also reps our Edge Protect, Piranha Peg, and more importantly, Mass Marble. And he's been just a amazing piece to the puzzle of us getting into retail and having some really big accounts here in the United States. You know, what we got to do is I got to find, because cause you've been to the Hockey Hall of Fame before, right, Joe? Yep, absolutely. You know the mask wing, right? There's the wing of all oh, goaltender masks. Gorgeous. There has got to be a way. We got to find one. Whether if it's you know, because I, I like Jandy's mask, the one he has now. It's a pretty mm. sweet mask. We got to find yeah, a way nice. to get a mask Marvel mask inside the Hockey Hall of Fame. That's gonna be that's Ooh. my that's my marketing goal now. Okay, we're, we're gonna make all it right. happen. If Mitch O'Keefe's Fair State mask, which is just a bulldog, can get in there. Darn it, we can get a mass Marvel mask in there. We can, yeah. That, that would be a lofty goal, but that's something that I should strive for in 2021. Just fine. Just, you know, if, if Reinhold, you know, if he doesn't want his mask anymore, you know, just, oh, shoot, he can go deliver it himself. 
You probably can bring it right there. Absolutely. Just te- text Ryan. I'm like, hey, Ryan, you, you don't need that mask anymore. Go to, because I know. Just bring I, it there and drop it off. Yeah. I mean, I know I, um, Matt Martin, he's one of their their promotions guys. He's the one that designs all the, the street light or the lamppost banners in oh, nice. downtown Toronto. I know him pretty well because I actually bought a few of the banners. Oh, uh, really? their exhibits. So, yeah, my. My man, well, my office right now, but my eventual man cave is going to be just stocked with Hockey Hall of Fame banners. I'm like, Love yeah, it. maybe I have to email him. Like, what will it take to get a goaltender's mask in there? Oh, just just style it. I, I was actually fortunate enough to go to the Hockey Hall of Fame on the grand opening weekend with my aunt. So we we had relatives in Toronto um, that had a, had a massive cow farm in Toronto, and um, so we would always venture over there a handful of times throughout the course of the year, and um, yep. So my, I, I can still remember, I actually went to the grand opening of the hockey hall of fame and it was just breathtaking. And it was the, the most amazing thing when I was a child to go through the hockey hall of fame was they have the, uh, Montreal Canadians replica locker room. Yes. And I thought that was like the coolest thing, you know, when I'm, I don't know, I was like 10 or 11 years old I'm sitting there, this, I was just blown away. I thought it was the coolest thing. Cause they had like Patrick Waugh's stall all set up and it was, just, it was really, really cool. It was very, it was a, it was a really experience to sort of see that and to sort of see how it's even grown today because i mean it's it's obviously probably a lot more uh a lot way bigger and probably a heck of a lot more things in there when it first opened because some people don't realize that at first it actually opened in the 60s but it was just the hall of fame just the grand yeah. hall in the corner that building that doesn't have the door the doors closed now but that mm-hmm. used to be the only way you could get into the hockey hall of fame now yep. it's the Hockey Hall of Fame and the museum and everything. You have to go through yes. the mall, through Sammy Pollock Square and everything. I mean, itself, it's it's still funny because it looks like this little shop, but then you go in and it just opens up. And I think, I mean, Kel, my wife and I, we went there last summer mm-hmm. uh, when we went to, well, we, we were already going to go to Toronto, but then we went to the Raptors Championship Parade, watched the Blue Jays, oh, get, nice. watched the Blue Jays get spanked by Mike Trout and then went to the Hockey Hall of Fame the next day. I've been there at least seven or eight times. Yeah, I, like, I, I love it just because of the gift shop. Oh, the, gift, a phenomenal, the, the a phenomenal gift shop. The spirit of hockey, I think it's called. It's mm-hmm. everyone just calls it the hockey hall of fame shop, but I think it's called this. Like it says on the stairs and whatever, but yeah, well, I love going in there, but then I look at my bank account. And I'm like, I don't have uh, that much money. Uh, all the, and the, the, the cool, the cool, uh, ice room. Like when I was a kid, I would go, we'd always go to the hockey hall of fame and I was, you know, when I was younger, they were still playing in, you know, in the gardens. Yeah, maybe. I mean, that was maybe, and it was, and they had a, they had like a shop that you could go, like outside the gardens, there was like a memorabilia shop. Yep. And so they would always have like, you know, broken sticks from the players and like pictures. And I, you know, at the time, Felix Potvin was on the team. And obviously I was like, I had a Felix Potvin stick. I have a Felix Potvin uh, picture. I mean, it was just this iconic stuff that I look back and I'm like, my first, my my first ever NHL hockey game was um, Toronto Maple Leafs versus the New York Rangers, and that's when I fell in love with John Van Beesbrook. He was like my idol growing up, being from Detroit, Michigan, and he played for the Rangers. But that was my first game: Maple Leaf Garden, Toronto, New York, Original Six in the Gardens, and I was probably I don't know, probably six, seven years old. Gosh, who would have been the goaltender then? Would that have been was that the '90s or late '80s? Um, the goaltenders were Alan Bester and Ken Reggett oh, and, uh, man. Van Beesbrook. And I think Bob froze. Yeah. Cause I remember, yeah. Cause 
at, well, Ken Regga came in, played at a good playoffs in those late eighties. I think went to Philly right after when Ronnie Hextall went, you know, crazy, yep. <laughs> but yep. gosh, Alan Bester, Orlando mm-hmm. solar bears. Great. Alan Bester. And he had a gr- always a great setup. He had the, the, the white John Brown pads with like the, the, like the all natural leather glove and blocker. Jeez, those like old school Brian's. Oh, it's fancy. That is a great way, Joe, to segue into another venture of yours. So we were so early December. I'm coming out to a D2 practice, mm-hmm. and because I was shooting footage for our Angel Tree bit that we were going to get on Wood TV, because I knew the sports guy Joe Alicio. And you skate by because I was at the practice you were at, and you come up to me and say something about second leather, second leather or second string leather, and I'm just like. Second, what the heck is this? Like, you don't, you never heard about it? I'm like, no. I'm like, what is this? And my brother, Alex, had actually known about it before I did. And I remember we, I looked it up <laughs> after and I saw this and I'm like, this is some pretty unique stuff. So tell, tell the folks here what second string leather is all about. Oh, man. Where do I start with second string leather company? Um, it's taken about, so we're actually, uh, this month marks our one year anniversary uh, May 29th will be our one year anniversary of second string. Um, so I have an amazing business partner in that venture with, uh, Zach Smith. He is a former Davenport university, uh, goaltender as well. He played on the D two team. Um, was he there with you? No, he would have been maybe a year or two after. Zach, it sounds familiar, but I think, yeah, that may have been after me because when I was there, it was myself and Habs, Hab, Andrew Habs. Yeah, so he was with uh, um, Christensen, uh, I think uh, Ryan Vanderwood was there. Yep, so that may have been the year after I left, yeah. Okay, I'm trying to think. There might have been one other goalie on the team. I'm drawing a blank, but uh, I, I've been fortunate enough to have Zach as my business partner in that venture, and him and I just, we have the same mindset, and it was funny because he's always wanted, you know, obviously I've known Zach since he was in high school. He played at Kenowa Hills. Right. And I've known him, gosh, probably 10, 12 years. And I, I can still remember we had a summer camp, a bandit summer camp at Walker. And he used to work at uh, the Walker ice arena because he lived right, right around the corner. And I remember I was always trying to pedal him a goalie helmet. And he, he had this like really fancy Eddie mask that was all painted up with like the Gary Cheever's uh, design on it. Ooh. And it had the Kennewa Hills colors. And and so he would always blow me off. And we just sort of became friends. And I would always see him at the rinks. And then obviously he was at Davenport. And we just sort of kept in touch. And and then he uh, he helps us out at Bandits and stuff when he can. And and so we've always kept in, in close contact. And then uh, he's like, man, I really want to get in the hockey industry. I, I love what you guys do with the, you know, the pegs and edge protect and the helmets and stuff and the goalie school. He's like, what can I do to do something like that? I'm like, well, we got to think of something. I mean, it's just, you know, these things took some time and effort to really get to where they're at. And so he just started like spitballing ideas. I mean, it took, gosh, a year, year and a half of just like talking about certain things. And it just, you know, some stuff was good. Some stuff was bad. And it, one day it got down to like where it really started to get, we really hammered it out. But like one day he came and he's like, I got this idea of uh, cufflinks out of hockey pucks. And I'm like, stop. No, that's not, that's not going to be what we're going to, you know, take that next step with. I said, we're getting, I mean, we've been going back and forth for, you know, a year and a half, a year and, you know, two years. 
we got to figure something out. So, and it was ironically, we had that conversation and like a couple days later, he literally calls me at like two in the morning. He's like, I got it. And of course you'd be awake at 2 AM. I was sleeping. I was, sleeping. Oh, you were he called me. I, I, I was one sleeping. of your four like, hours of sleep. Yeah, exactly. He called me at 2 AM and he's like, I got the idea. We're going to take vintage goalie equipment and we're going to repurpose it into high end goods, like leather keychains, backing bags, wallets. And I'm like, I think you're onto something. And we refined it and we like worked it out. And we've been lucky enough to find the most amazing craftsman that does all of our leather pieces. I mean, we looked for well over a year to find an individual that would take our idea and sort of bring it to that next step. And we have a gentleman that is incredible, Jacob Vron. He's He's not even a hockey fan. I, I think he's become to love hockey and grown into liking the sport, but he's an artist. I mean, he's a true artist. His, his craftsmanship with our pieces are just next level. And to sort of see where it's gone in uh, less than a year is, you know, it's, it's, it's truly remarkable. I, I, I'm, I get lost for words because the response that we have on a daily basis with it and the following that we have on social media and the people that come to our website and we've you know we're dealing with nhl clients and we're dealing with you know high-end corporations that are doing some special projects for their employees throughout the summertime coming up like there's some really special things with this company and we haven't even scratched the surface so um we have our new collection coming out it's collection number five and this collection is going to be just massive. I mean, there's over 1,000 pieces. Um, there's a lot of NHL clients into it, not giving away too many of the details. I mean, there's some really big names in the, uh, in the collection here for collection number five that are going to literally put us to the next level of what we're offering uh, to our customers and to our fans. Um, and we've also just introduced this past week, we actually uh, introduced Horween leather. So Horween leather is one of the, the top leathers that you can buy in the world. And the tannery is actually out of Chicago, believe it or not. And we were lucky enough to uh, take a trip down there with our leather craftsmen in, uh, in January. Um, we met the owner, Skip Horween. He like took us on like a four hour tour of the whole facility. And the process of this leather is like truly next level. I mean, this stuff is found in Patagonia, Birkenstock, uh, Johnson and Murphy, Clark. You know, th this is like next level leather that we're using. And we were granted permission to use these pieces uh, on our wallets moving forward. And so we actually are incorporating Horween leather, not only into the pieces that we just launched this past week of our waffle board collection, but in the collection number five, that's going to be just truly works of art, but with a whole nother kick to it because we're ad adding leather that's actually made here right in Chicago, you know, three hours away from Grand Rapids, Michigan. And the leather is beautiful. I mean, it's truly remarkable. And there, there is definitely a big difference of when you see some of our other pieces that you just use the traditional leather to the Horween leather. There's just, there's a big difference and we're really excited to be adding it. And, um, it, like I said, it's sort of, it, I get lost for words because it's truly a remarkable company. We've probably have made and sold probably in the last year, well over 5,000 pieces and the new, the new collection that's coming out, it's going to have over a thousand pieces in it. Uh, when we launch it, uh, probably the first week of June is what we're shooting for. Jeez, so it'll man. be out before, it'll be out before father's day. Quite the, uh, quite the one, I mean, I'm saying not the overnight sensation, but part near, right? I mean, 
It is. It, that, that, this, this company has a lot of traction and it's, um, we're really proud of it. We really are. We're actually growing it um, into some other things that we're going to be doing with uh, Second String. We're actually growing our apparel line. So we're actually in the process right now of coming out with more apparel, not just like our standardized logo t-shirt. We're coming out with a whole line of like shirts. They're going to be more than just our logo. So we're going to have some pretty interesting designs that we've been working with our designer on uh, to come out here uh, probably early to midsummer um, that I think people are going to really like, not just goalies. And that's the thing I've, we've, we've found that this is a lot more than just goalies. There's, you know, there's hockey players there. We have, you know, women, we have a women's clutch. We have a traveler wall that we like an oversized uh, tote bag. And so we have a, we have a lot more than just, male stuff we have male and female products that have really gone over well with everyone that has them and and like our big thing is everything has a story there's literally a story behind every piece and that is the conversation starter when you pull out of your pocket and you open it up and someone might what's that oh it's yeah this is actually from an old goalie pad or the other thing that we just started about two months ago was our our custom program so this could be where you give us your goalie pads from college and we make them into leather pieces for you and your family that actually have some true sentimental value to it more than just something that just comes off of our traditional collection pieces. Huh? I mean, I got my, I don't, not my new nice Vaughn's that I have, but my old Arcades are just oh, wow. collecting dust. Those, the ones that literally mirror the image of Archer's Urbase pads. Like <laughs> I remember those. I remember those, the white ones. Well, they were, <laughs> they were white at they're one more point. Of a, they're more of like a black cream color now. Oh gosh. And it's funny. Like I, people see, like I, I, cause I remember I went to the Brampton campus, the one that Kaludis and I both went to at the same time. And everyone's got these nice, you know, design pads with color. Me just come with these beat up white pads. And everyone's like, who the heck is this kid? And I didn't do, I didn't do too bad, but everyone looked at my pads like, what are those? And I'm like, Toronto hockey repair. Never, never judge a book by its cover. Because look at artist Urbe. He wore, I think, the same pair of goalie pads for ninety-five percent of his hockey career. He, well, gosh, he wore them, and I remember he was in the two thousand six Olympics, and he still had them. Yeah, same mask yep. and everything. Just put a different sticker on it when he like went mm-hmm. to Carolina and such. But yes, no, we will be sure to put second string leather because, and I did, and I remember I was looking up at the before we before we went on, and I looked up some of the products. You have mm-hmm. products that are from like Steve Shields old pads and yes. you know Marty Berdur's old Devil Tales pads and I'm just like man this stuff is like and I remember I saw those pads I'm like that stuff like should be you know you know in the Hall of Fame like in a shrine but like the fact that they can people can have it and put it in their pocket and show them like hey this was stopping you know they played with the San Jose you know this you know this pad was made from a pad that stopped Paul Career or something like that you know and yes. And then, then bam. That's what, honestly, the, the cool part about the whole thing with second string is like the hunt for equipment. We've, you know, we've gotten, uh, we have a lot of good resources out there that we talk to on a weekly basis that help us find gear. We're always looking online. There's people that contact us through our website. We have a section that says like got gear for donations or they may, okay, I'll give you a set of goalie pads and all I want is a wallet or a bathroom bag out of it. And we do like an exchange that way. So we've actually grown our inventory just by, you know, communicating with people and they, you know, they have pieces that are in their basement for 10, 15 years in a bag and they, they are more than grateful to get rid of them. And the cool part, I was going to say this before is like, we just, just got done doing a uh, collection piece with 
Von goalie equipment for Jimmy Howard. And so these are pieces that were given to Jimmy Howard as a thank you from Von Custom Sports. Um, it was for his 500th NHL game. It was his glove and blocker. And so we made oh. uh, several wallets, a tote bag, some bathroom bags, and keychains. And uh, they turned out phenomenal. And they're actually on our social media and our website and also on on um, on our, like, we have Instagram and um, Facebook. And, you know, for us to, like, be able to provide a really cool piece to, to Jimmy and his family to, like, they're going to have, you know, we always like to say that our pieces that we make are going to probably outlive the individual because of the quality and the craftsmanship of these pieces. They're basically like family heirlooms that yeah. they basically turn into. And, and we're, we're proud of that. I mean, cause we've had some amazing stories and just within a year, I mean, uh, uh like last summer, a father called us and he's like, I just want to say thank you to you guys. And I'm like, who is this? <laughs> I didn't know who it was. He got our number and he tracked us down and he called and he's like, I just want you guys to know that I gave, um, my son, your wallet and a keychain for his graduation present. And the wallet was his first man wallet. Like he's going to college next year. We're proud of him. And we wanted to give him like a, a, a leather wallet as a thing, you know, as a congratulation. Thank you for being a good son. And we gave him a, a key, a keychain because we're giving him a car for his graduation. And your keychain was on that uh, keyring. And I'm like, oh, that's that, awesome. I'm like, wow. Like, what do you say to that? Like, and he's like, I just want to say thank you because, like, when I opened up the box, it was just like, it was so perfect. He's a huge hockey fan, goalie, and uh, he's like, I, you know, so he's like, thank you for like helping me complete my gift to my son as he moves into college. And I'm like, man, I, you're welcome. Like that, I, I didn't really know what to say. It sort of caught me off guard, but it was it was truly remarkable. Just melts the melts the heart of Joe Messina. <laughs> Absolutely. But that is, and we'll put all the links to Second String, Mass Marble, Bandits, Edge Tech, all in the description of this week's episode. I wrote it down because I always say I'm going to put something in the description and I end up not doing it. So I wrote it down. Yeah, do it. It's going to be on there. No, come hell or high water, it's going to be on there. But Joe, thank you very much. Once again, folks, get all that. Get some Second String leather stuff. They have some cool gitch on there. Not really gitch, but they have some cool gear. Bandits, if you have a youngster that wants to play, they are the way to go. Stan and Joe run an exceptional staff. I can attest to it. Not my success, but my progression into an actually a solid goaltender. Not me Absolutely. playing pro, because I am I'm not the one that gives the good testimonials. There have been plenty of NHLers that have gone through, including a guy that worked with them for a little bit, Chris Osgood. Heck, he was the oh. logo of Bandits for so long. He, yeah, good old Ozzy. He was I, a, still, still a close friend of the Stan and He's a good man. He he was with us uh, many many years, probably for close to ten years. He was with us, and it was uh, it was during I believe the '05 lockout uh, is when he started to work with uh, Stan in Detroit, and I was lucky enough to be able to go out there a couple times a week, um, and it was it was just amazing. I mean, Ozzy's a, a just a, an incredible person, great you know great personality, but to see him transform his game and to basically learn it from scratch and to do the edge work and the crease movement. And I, you know, I'm sitting out there watching him and I'm, you know, this is Chris Osgood, you know, and, and like to be up, up on the ice and that close to him, it was truly remarkable because he transformed his game into obviously a Stanley cup caliber goaltender several times. And, but he's a great person off the ice. And I mean, he's, He's, he's definitely why he's so well-liked into the city of Detroit because of 
you know, who he is and he's a great person. Well, it's so strange because, well, first of all, that's actually how my my dad sold me to have you be my goalie coach when I was so young because, hey, this guy trained Chris Osgood and Chris Osgood, I saw his poster here in my office back in the, from the 90s. And I'm like, well, this guy's got to be good then. But <laughs> I remember after they won the Cup in 08, an article came out talking about how he revitalized career. And I still get a little butthurt when I look at it just because they don't mention who helped him become a butterfly goaltender. Well, there is there is one article, and it is in Sports Illustrated that he does mention Stan. Hey, okay, mention Stan. Okay, it doesn't say Bandits yeah. entirely, but I remember he mentioned because I remember they didn't say Bandits, and I'm like, yeah, you no. can just say ah. Yeah, he definitely mentioned Stan in the one Sports Illustrated article, which is outstanding because you know him and Stan, you know, they had a lot of conversations about changing his game because at the time when we were, you know, when he was coming to Bandits early on. And Stan was working with them. This was like when Mark Andre Fleury was like starting to come into the league, and he's like, I, I, I actually remember being in the locker room with them, and he's like, I, I can't move like him. I don't, I don't, I cannot move like Fleury. My body does not move like that. I've never been trained like that. I don't, I don't have a goalie coach that trains me like that. I need to move like that if I want to have a a long career still left. And you know, I mean, look at where he went from, basically. I think he added on probably eight to 10 more years onto his career because he changed his game and he refined it. And it just, it shows, uh, and we have a lot of NHL guys that come to us. Um, Scott Wedgwood, Alex Nadelkovich, Thatcher Demko. These are all high profile NHL American league guys that are like, obviously Wedgwood and Nadelkovich are like right on the cusp of getting to the NHL. Obviously Thatcher Demko is with the Vancouver Canucks these guys are great individuals to start off, but their work ethic is like impeccable and they're true students of the game. And that's what Ozzy was. He was a true student. He really learned his game through Stan. Stan really gave him a lot of the tools to really refine his game. But Ozzy, I mean, he didn't have to, I mean, he's like, I'm a, you know, he wasn't like, he didn't come to us as a, I'm a Stanley cup champion. I'm too good for this. I mean, he came with an open mind to learn and he really, truly did. He really did. And it was fun to watch because to see him where he started and to see where he finished, not the same goalie. And this is a, you know, at the time he was probably in his late twenties, you know, when he was doing all this. Uh, so been close really to remarkable. that. Yeah. I've been close to that. He was, cause I think he was 36 or something like that when he won in 08 or something like that. Cause him and Hashik were the oldest goaltending tandem. Yep. Pretty sure darn near in the history of the league. Absolutely. Who are, because uh, I remember I forgot to ask you this. We'll ask you this last question before we let you go here, Joe. Okay. Who are some of the young kids you're working with now that may not, you know, may not be going into college in the next couple of years, but guys that you're working with that maybe, you know, tickling the junior ranks a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe making some, have, you know, college names coming around. Yeah, we have a lot of good ones. I mean, you know, we're really proud of the guys that we have at the U.S. development team. Uh, there's Caden DeBurco, Gibson Homer. These are two guys that played on the U.S. development team this year. They're obviously one of the top goaltenders in the country. Um, here in Grand Rapids, uh, I have a couple guys that um, I work with that are just phenomenal students, good individuals. There's, uh, like, most recently, there's... Um, uh, there's Grant Adams. He just got picked. Well, he's actually from Culver Military Academy. He's from Indiana area. He just got, uh, and I believe he's going to St. Lawrence this upcoming year. There's James Durham. He's an East Kentwood kid. Uh, he's going to Brown University. Um, you know, it's it's just, then there's another goalie in Grand Rapids, Owen Millward. He just got picked up in the USHL draft. I'd say he's probably one of the top 10 goalies in the country for his age group. He's out of, uh, you know, he played midget minor this year for Fox Motors. 
Um, it, it, there's a lot of goalies that I work with in this area. A lot of high school guys, a lot of guys that play AAA that are like on the cusp of like just because of their work ethic, they're gonna do some great things. And I'm excited to sort of see some of the young guys that I train, and even the guys on the east side of the state that stand trains and even come to our goalie school. Like we're really proud of these guys because they really do put a lot of time and effort into their game. And I think you have to nowadays because of what's available to goalies and athletes just in general. Uh, like I, I tell my guys, like coming to me and doing private lessons is not enough. And just because you go home and you stretch isn't enough. I mean, there's so much more to it, like taking care of your body with your eating, with your stretching habits, with your visual training, with, you know, just watching your, I mean, I, I was asking my guys, who's your favorite goalie to watch? Well, I like watching Carey Price. I'm like, why? Carey Price is not you. You should be watching you. Like, you should dissect your game so you know your game in and out, not carry prices. Like, I want, I want my guys to be true students of their own game. So when they get on the ice, they're basically their own goalie coach. And that, to me, is where you see a, a goalie or an athlete take that next step in their game when they truly know their game. And that's really a huge part just because of how you evolve. Because, yeah, you can watch a goaltender and try to style them on TV and whatever. And, oh, yeah, that seems hunky-dory. Well like watch yourself. And I remember because when we used to do video together, I remember I'd watch myself and I'd, well, one thing you'd always say is stick, stick yeah, placement. That was, stick. that was, that was my one. Well, okay. That and getting up with the correct leg, but you know, being able to watch yourself is so different because you know, you don't know how you look when you're playing, you know, you think and that's, you can make it. Oh, go ahead, Joe. Well, to say that, and that's the, I guess the, the coolest part when, you know, I'm on the ice, I have my, whether it's a phone or, an iPad and you're like, you're basically five, 10 feet away from the individual and you're, they're getting like real live in depth, like analysis where you're right there, where some goalies, they've never seen themselves on TV or even on like an iPad or they maybe have, and it's, you know, 300 feet away up in the stands. It doesn't give you that in depth up close look. And we do our video training with our, all of our young guys, all the way up to our NHL guys. It's no different. I mean, it's, you know, uh, hockey is hockey. Goaltending is goaltending as you get older, the speed just increases and that, and like, we really try to emphasize that with our young guys that learn your game. So when you're put into a situation, you know how to, you know, you know how to succeed in that situation. And I think when you have an individual that's truly prepared for success, success, you're going to have like that success is going to find them just because they're so prepared for it. And I'll leave you with this. Cause this is like our motto at band. It's like you, you basically every day. So every day you come to the rink, you, you, you basically practice and play like it's your last game. So when you get to that last game, it's just another game. And that's like one of those things where we really try to like hammer into our guys. Like you should be practicing and playing like at your peak at all times. Well, it's the first game of the year. Oh, it's like, you know, we're game 20 or game. And you get like sort of caught in that lull. You have to be playing at your max performance level all the time if you want to take that next step. And the guys that do it, so when they're playing in like a championship game, it is another game. It's just another game because they, they make every game in practice a championship atmosphere. So that's the type of stuff that we try to teach our guys to have a killer instinct like that at all times. And that's why Bandit's goaltenders are some of the most successful across North America and even some international as well. Once again, folks, we'll put the Bandits goaltending website in the link in the description 
of today's episode, including Second String Leather, Mass Marvel, Edge Protect, Joe Messina. Thank you very much coming on. I know you kept pestering me for years. Get me on. I love it. Let's do this I, again. I love it. I told you. I remember I told you I had a podcast like day one back in 2018. You're like, get me on there. And I'm like, I, 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 I don't know how to do this yet. I barely know how to talk in this microphone. So I'm glad I was able to figure out and finally gave in to your demands. And you know what? I think this was definitely great. And hopefully, hopefully. Hopefully, some kids call you up like, "Hey, I heard you on the Cule podcast. I want to be a goaltender." And then, yes, I'll feel I'll I'll have no gratification because you'll be the one coaching him and making him awesome and making him one of the best goaltenders in the world. Thank you very much again, Joe. Hopefully, the next time we talk, hopefully there's some hockey on the ice. Hopefully, you and I are working together doing something because my office is getting a little lonely and a little too quiet. I can I can definitely attest to that. Hopefully, we get some. Get some sports going because it's becoming uh, summertime, and without sports, it's just, it just, it's just not the same. Not the same at all. Joe Messina, once again, folks, here on the Kiel Podcast. Thanks again, Joe. Take care. Thank you. Thank you very much, Joe. Once again, Second String Leather Company. You know, it's something that. It's so interesting just because of the fact that when you hear like second string leather company, I first thought that Joe was starting his own goaltending pad, starting to do goalie pads. And I'm like, that's going to be awesome because, you know, I, I've, I remember back in my playing days when I would go on the Vaughn websites, the Bauer websites and do the goalie mods and just create colorful looking pads and whatnot and just have some fun. Like I would create, you know, being here from West Michigan, we had the Muskegon Lumberjacks. So I created Muskegon Lumberjacks looking pads. I was a big London Knights fan. I did London Knights goaltending pads. Big Leafs fan. Well, that's pretty easy. White and blue. But, you know, it's it's cool to think how you can take goaltending pads, old and used, and put them into something useful, I guess, in today. You know, like a you know, keychain. I know some people think they're kind of trivial, but they're really helpful. I have a a band on my key chain, on my keys that was made by one of the former Davenport women's hockey parents. And it's so helpful because when you're fiddling around, you know, in your pocket, I can just simply reach in and grab the lace. Cause it's made out of a skate lace with some, with some hard plastic on, you know, soft, hard plastic on the outside of it. And it's easy to just grab it, you know, and it hangs easily on, on the keychain hook outside the door of the place here. And it, it's it's cool, and they have wallets, and they have shirts. I'm probably going to get a shirt now, which the wife may not like too much, but I'll love it. So that's all that matters, right? So, but yeah, go check all that stuff out. We have, like we said, we have Joe Messina, we have Second String Leather, Bandits, Mass Marvel, Edge Protect, all in the description. Ken Weeb from our interview earlier, he will also be in the description as well. His profile, at least on the Athletic, where you can get all of his great pieces of work including his recent article with Bob Essenza. Essenza, a former Red Wing, former Detroit Red Wings. A lot of people forget about that because he came around during the 93-94 season after Tim Shevelday kind of started to go south. And obviously Essenza wasn't going to work, so a young Christopher Osgood came in. And the rest, as they say, was history. But that is it for this week's episode, folks. We did do an interview, record an interview with Alex 
for this week's episode. And I know we did tweet about how he's going to come back, but we're going to put that one on next week's because it's a little bit longer and a little bit more and a, a little bit intimate entertainment between Alex and I because obviously we're brothers. We're from Grand Rapids. We make a lot of Grand Rapids references, and we talk about sports movies. We'll get into that. Ne- that'll be a next week's show for you, a little bit longer of a one-on-one with Alex and I. It'll be great to have him at least make an appearance in some form here on the Kiel Podcast, hopefully in studio soon if everything goes well. But that is it for this week's episode, folks. Thank you all for listening. For Once again, for Ken and Joe coming on to the show, great to have great talks with those guys. Great to have them on. Joe, good to catch up with him as always. And we'll definitely talk to Ken, hopefully, when hockey starts up because, obviously, a very man, well-knowledged, well-knowledgeable of the Winnipeg Jets. Be sure to get involved once again, folks, with this week's conversation. Use the hashtag the Kill Podcast, hashtag TKP at the Kill Podcast on Twitter. Tell us what you think about the Winnipeg Jets. Tell us what you think about the products that Joe Messina is all a part of. And yes, Edge Protect. Every you see it all the time. Who's the inventor? Who's the man, the man behind the idea? Mr. Joe. Messina. I was going to say a middle initial, but I don't remember what his middle name is, so I'm not even going to guess. Thank you once again, folks, and we will see you next time here on the Cure Podcast. Goodbye! Boy, these interviews are starting to really ramp up here. Maybe we should get someone else on the show. We should get some more people. I don't know who else we should talk to. We could... We could we, we could talk to that dog over there. It's outside the window staring at us awkwardly. Can't tell if he's foaming at the mouth, though. Maybe we should go check it out.